A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for tuning in and joining me tonight on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And my thanks go out to all of you once again for voting for the show and moving us up from number 16 to number 14 this month in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for August. Over the last five months, you've taken the show from number 44 to 39 to 31 to number 16 last month and now up to number 14. I can't thank you all enough for all of your support. You guys are all just awesome. Congratulations also to one of my guests tonight, Hal Sutton. He and his co-host Chase Cooper and their podcast, Be the Right Club Today, jumped into the Hot 50 this month at number 24. Folks, please continue to vote by going online to podcastmagazine.com and clicking on Hot 50 at the top. Hal and I both appreciate your support very much. Tonight, folks, I'm really excited about the show because I have four great friends that I get to share with you. Like I mentioned a moment ago, my first guest is going to be Hal Sutton. Hal's become a wonderful friend over the last couple of years. It's always an honor to have him as part of the show. Tonight, I'm going to get Hal's thoughts on Olympic golf and Xander Schauffele's gold medal winning performance. We'll also talk about Louis Oosthuizen's summer of finishing second. Then we'll get into the Brooks and Bryson rivalry and something that's kind of a theme of tonight's show. How do you form a cohesive Ryder Cup team out of players like Brooks and Bryson? Then you throw in DJ, who almost came to blows with Brooks on the plane to the last Ryder Cup event over in France. And then just for kicks, how about a little bit of Patrick Reed for good measure? We'll hear what Hal thinks about all of that and much more when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from another major champion, 2003 PGA champ Sean McKeel. Sean just got back from the Senior Open Championship at Sunningdale Golf Club over in Sunningdale, Brookshire in the UK. We'll hear about his experience there, plus playing in the Senior PGA Championship earlier this year at Southern Hills. We'll talk about where his Magic 7-iron is, the one that struck one of the greatest approach shots in major championship history, finishing two inches from the 18th hole, which sealed his victory over Chad Campbell. Where is that 7-iron today? If it's where I read it is, you'll be surprised. Plus, Sean and his father, Buck, are both pilots, and as we approach the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attack. We'll hear where he and his father were when all the planes were forced to land. Looking forward to having Sean back as part of the show. He'll join me 25 minutes from now. 
Following him, I'll get a return visit from one of the top instructors in the game, Jason Hayes. Jason's home course, Buffalo Dunes, was named one of the best municipal courses in the country by Golf Magazine. They rated it number eight behind a couple of the best page courses, plus then Chambers Bay and Torrey Pines. We'll talk about that, plus the nearly $800,000 in course renovations that they're getting, thanks to members of the local community volunteering to do the work. The cost is really going to be a fraction of that. Jason will join me about 45 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a long overdue return visit from Top 100 instructor Eric Johnson. Eric has been a great friend going all the way back to season one of this show. He's now teaching at Yellowstone Golf Club in Big Sky, Montana, a state that I've always wanted to go visit. He and one of my guests from last week, Bob Ford, just played a round together. Eric worked for Bob for many years when they were both at Oakmont. We'll hear about that. Plus, I'll get Eric's thoughts as well on the Olympics, the Ryder Cup, and a whole lot more when he joins me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I always like to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore. As I said to you before, my buddies and I, we went up there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service, and the course lived up to every expectation that we had. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online to themaclemore.com to see how spectacular it is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Guess what? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit the ball high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is PGA Tour legend Hal Sutton. Hal is a great follow on social media at Hal Sutton Golf and online at HalSuttonGolf.com. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, his podcast, Be the Right Club Today, made the podcast Hot 50 list this month, jumping in at number 24. You can watch and subscribe to Hal's show on YouTube. It's also available on a number of podcast sites like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For those of you who haven't joined me before when Hal has been a part of the show, and you may not remember what a great career he's had so far, let me give you a quick reminder. He was named the 1980 College Player of the Year. He won 14 times during his college career. He was a two-time All-American and led Centenary to the NCAA Tournament. He was a two-time Trans-American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He won the 1980 U.S. Amateur Championship, turned pro in 1981. He got his first win on tour at the 1982 Walt Disney World Classic, and that year he was named the Tour's Rookie of the Year. In 1983, he was named the PGA Player of the Year after winning the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship. 
1998, he won the Tour Championship here in Atlanta. In 2000, he won the Players' Championship for a second time by one stroke over Tiger Woods. He captained the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team. He backed up his 14 college victories with 14 more on the PGA Tour. He finished second 18 times. He has 135 top 10s and 239 top 25 and should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And it's always a thrill to have him with me on Next on the Tee. Hey, Hal, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for all the uh, the nice words there. You know, you said so far when, it, when you said about fire. Let me tell you, it's, uh, the playing days are over for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hal, I never like to count you out. You know, I'm sort of one of those guys that, you know, keeps the fingers crossed. You never know. You might show up one day out on the Champions Tour and things continue. So I never want to close it out for you, my friend. Well, thanks for saying that. But these uh, three artificial joints are telling me, take it easy on me. Take it easy on me. So I'm going to do Hal, I want to start our time tonight by getting your thoughts on uh, on Olympic golf. Do you like seeing golf as a, an Olympic event? And what would you think of uh, Xander Schauffele's gold medal performance? Well, I thought he played great. I thought he made a par on the last hole, coaching guts by doing it. You know, he, he showed discipline, and uh, those are the things that you have to do in order to win. I think uh, this is going to help him uh, in different moments in years to come. And uh, he showed a lot of poise. And, uh, I, th- I thought it was a great victory for him. To that end, Hal, and I was sort of wondering the same thing. I mean, Xander's a guy that we've been waiting for for a few years to kind of get over the hump in a major. He's had so many close finishes, seconds, top fives, top tens, but just hasn't gotten over that hump. Is this something that can help him with his confidence to get over that hump? Can he draw from this? Or is the the next major, which isn't until next April at the Masters, is that too far away? No, I think he's definitely going to draw from this. I really do. I think he, you know, there were major championship winners in the tournament, you know, that he beat. And I think this will be a positive thing for him. What do you uh, make of Rory's comment that he never tried so hard to finish third in his life? (laughs) I think that's probably right. I think, uh, you know, uh, that was a big playoff. and. I think everybody in there wanted to win it or, you know, wanted to win the playoff. And uh, uh, interesting, you know, I I was involved in a playoff that had in the team championship, there was a five-way playoff with put 10 players in the playoff. And it gets a little bit, uh, you're unaware of what's going on all the time when there's that many people in the playoff. They separated it to where everybody was playing in two different groups there. Uh, when we were in the playoff, we only had time for one hole, so uh, it had to go fast, and I got lucky and hit it about four or five feet, made birdie on the par three, and Raymond and I won. But, you know, big playoffs can go on for a long time. So how do you think an Olympic gold medal, is that going to be growing in stature now? I mean, we've, we've had we've had golf in the Olympics twice. It's certainly not a major but could it get up there sort of like a, a player's championship, maybe just sort of half tick below being one of the majors? Well, I certainly hope so. You know, anytime I ever played for my country, I was, that, that got my going flowing. 
and uh, I love watching the Olympics. Uh, uh, I love. I, I hope that golf uh, embraces the Olympics. I know that the the hierarchy in the game uh, wants golf to be uh, embraced at the Olympics. So let's hope that it does. Uh, last time you were on the show, we talked about Lee Westwood and how he settled for second place at the Players' Championship by not going for the flag on 17 when he needed birdie to catch Justin Thomas. And and since then, it seems like Louis Oosthuizen has had a summer filled with finishing second. It feels like he's led every major through 54 holes, but it wound up finishing second or third. What do you make of Louis' summer and uh, all the second or third place finishes? Well, I think he's had a fantastic summer. He's played great, and uh, he's elevated his game. And I can tell you the difference between second and first is not much. And it comes down to one shot most of the time and uh, maybe a good break. Um, you know, he's played fantastic. And if I were him, I'd be gaining momentum and seeing things positive. You know, the world, uh, I've seen some people where they try to criticize that he's finished second in all of these tournaments, you know, and haven't been there knowing how hard it is to win a, a, an event like that. You know, he played great, played solid. And, uh, you know, I look for him to continue to play well with the way he's played so far this year. Hal, I want to get kind of a mental playing lesson from you because one of the things that was a head-scratcher about Louis Summer was his decision at the U.S. Open to lay up on 18. After he hit his tee shot in the rough, his only real shot at possibly making the eagle he needed to tie John Rahm was going for the green in two and, and hoping for the best, hoping he had enough club to get the ball up and reach the green. Instead, he laid up, hoping to hole out from 75 yards. What did you think about his playing decision to clearly play for second place? And how do you teach the mentality of winning versus settling for second or third? Well, the elevated money has hurt that a little bit. Uh, you know, second versus third pays a lot more money. <laughs> and uh, these guys are, when they don't feel like they quite have a chance or they're taking on too much risk in order to, win a tournament, um, they seem to settle and make sure that they get wherever they're at. Like in Louis' place there, he finished second, and he didn't want a chance hitting it in the water, so he laid it up. And um, I'm seeing more and more of that. You know, these guys are making, you know, if they have four or five good tournaments, they make, you know, a couple of million dollars, and they can uh, – loaf the rest of the time <laughs> so when they get up there and they're in the second third and fourth position they're trying to hold on to their position as much as they are trying to win a tournament and i can tell you this you you get into that position you really got to try to win you you got to pull out all stops to try to win and you know I, my answer back to this is, is you know when you said i finished second 18 times i had no idea how many times i finished second we had Randall Chambly on, and we, I was talking about on our podcast, and I was talking to him about winning versus finishing second. And he said, man, he's, he gave me every detail of the one tournament that he won, every detail. And so I said, well, did you finish second? He said, yeah, I finished second one time. I said, 
Do you know in detail what that was like? Well, no, I don't really remember that. I mean, you know, winning is everything. Everybody remembers winning. Nobody remembers second place. Yeah, take that a half step further. I know Jack Nicholas can recite every shot he hit and the tournaments that he won, particularly the majors. But if you ask him about the ones that he finished second or any anywhere else, he doesn't remember what he shot. He can't tell you about anything that happened. Is that is that part of the mentality that, you know, you are so focused on winning, you know what, second, third, fifth, whatever, doesn't really make any difference. I'm, I'm not committing any of that to memory. I think that has something to do with it. I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you have success, uh, you celebrate success. You don't forget success. And uh, when you don't quite get there, you know, whether it's a mistake or whether you just didn't, you know, give it 100% or you settled, whatever the case may be, you kind of uh, don't preserve that to your, your memory banks. <laughs> you let it go. That's sort of like in football, right? They, they tell you to forget the last play. If you're a cornerback and just got burned, you forget that last play and you move on from there. Don't let that uh, don't let that come into the next play, sort of like in golf, right? I mean, if you have negative thoughts, you're going to let that carry over into the next hole, the next tournament, whatever. You got to you got to forget the last play. And I can tell you this: that when there is a time that someone makes a mistake that costs them a bunch. Uh, in a major tournament or in a big tournament uh, where they're trying to win or or get up higher on the uh, finish higher, uh, they don't forget that mistake. That mistake lingers in their head for a long time. So they're trying not to make that mistake, too. And, you know, that's a difficult task. You know, you got to try to win, and you got to try to avoid trying to keep from making a mistake too. How do you not let the bad mistake, the one to your point that cost you, you know, immediately I think of Jordan Spieth at, at the Masters a few years ago. How do you not let that scar you? How do you take the, you know, here's the lesson I learned from that and now I'm going to move forward. How do you not let it ruin your career going forward, but take it for what it is, an experience that you'll learn from and not make again? Well. You know, I had one of those major instances in my life in 1983, right before I won the uh, PGA Championship. I had a six-shot lead at Ann Azar Bush, and I blew the six-shot lead on Sunday. I didn't think at the time, I thought, if anybody spotted me six shots, there's no way anybody in the world could beat me. And lo and behold, Calvin Pete beat me. And it wasn't, I mean, Calvin played pretty good, but it was really I beat myself. And I was scarred from that. And uh, I remember. I didn't sleep at all that night, and I played at the Cavalier Club at Virginia Beach the next day and shot 60 the next day. And uh, because I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want that to, you know, identify me as a choker, basically. So when I came home, I told my dad, I said, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to let this drive me. I'm going to let this boil inside me, the mistake that I made. And it's going to drive me to not doing that again. And I tell you, I lived it and breathed it and and slept it for however many days it was in between those two tournaments. And I was determined, and I opened with 65 at Riviera. Shot 66 second round, 72-71, and the majors always get harder on the weekend. But uh, 
I ended up winning by one, and uh, that drove me to make sure I was on the money. How we've also talked in the past about the pressure of expectations that were placed on you early in your career, and a, a guy who I feel like is in a similar position now is Ricky Fowler. I mean, he's won five times out on tour. This is his 12th full season out there. But it's been about two and a half years since that last win at the Waste Management Open in February of 2019. But 73 top tens, including three since his last win. Are, are we putting too much pressure, too many expectations on Ricky because of his early success and what a great guy he is? We're all rooting for him. Or does, you know, the expectation of win, does that just come with it? Is that just a part of it? When you've had early success, guess what? People are going to put that on you, and we expect you to win more, and particularly a guy as talented as him, we expect him to win majors. Well, if you have early success, the world starts watching. And, you know, Ricky is uh, a little bit different than everybody else. He wears, you know, uh, loud colors and uh, look-at-me stuff, you know, and and he's got a game that says, look at me. And when you have all of that, you gain attention. And with attention comes expectation. And, you know, he's got tons of followers and everybody's pulling hard for him. And, and then whenever you don't meet their expectations, everybody's got an opinion as to why you're not meeting their expectations. And the truth is he can't avoid listening to it. You know, wherever he goes, someone's saying something. And that makes it tough. Um, you know, he's, uh, as he didn't win as much as he wanted to, he started looking at, I'm sure I, he had told me this, but I'm sure he's been looking at, okay, where do I need to improve? And I think he started working on trying to hit it further. And, um, you know, we try to change our fingerprints sometimes. And when we try to change our fingerprints, uh, we run into some difficulties. And, you know, he was fantastic putter. And all of a sudden, his putting is not quite as good. And I've said this a thousand times. You know, you can work on weaknesses to try to make them better, but you have to add time to your practice rather than forsake something that is your strength because your strength always has to be your strength. You cannot ever let that disappoint. Uh, and be the same player. So, you know, I'm sure Ricky has gone through a lot of these these things uh, where he's trying to improve weaknesses and uh, change his fingerprint, like I said. And, you know, I, we had Michael Breed on our uh, podcast today, and he said something that was brilliant, I thought. He talked about uh, there are pretty players and there are dirty players. And what he meant by dirty players was, is uh, people that are passionate that will do anything to win. He called me a dirty player, you know, not dirty as in uh, doing anything dirty. It's just I'm passionate and I get in the dirt. If that's what I got to do to get in the dirt to win. And, you know, uh, he made the statement that we have a lot of pretty players in the world today. And I thought it was a pretty good explanation of golf right now. Hal, I want to take you back for a moment to that 2000 Players Championship and just at the end, because as I've watched that now, it uh, feels like a hundred times. Um, one of the things that has jumped out to me 
is when you tapped in on 18 and you embraced your caddy, Freddie Burns, you guys did sort of a combination high five, handshake sort of thing. And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of emotion I felt like pumping through your hand into Freddie's hand. It wasn't just, hey, we won a golf tournament. It seemed like it was deeper than that. Do you remember the emotion racing through you as you and uh, Freddie embraced hands? Well, you know, Freddie was my friend from the time I was 15 years old. On Freddie used to follow me around when I was a kid, and he said, "How you're going to be a great player one day, and when you are, he said, I'm going to caddy for you. And he did. And, you know, that was a, that was a moment that he and I shared together that, um, we had both sacrificed a lot to get to that point. And when you've sacrificed a lot, um, you're passionate about it. And, you know, there were many days that he and I practiced six and eight hours and we didn't have a dry thread on us. Uh, we, we lived in Shreveport, Louisiana. We never moved. And, We'd go home and go to work at the golf course, and we'd go out by ourselves. You know, the humidity would be 90%, and, you know, we'd practice, and I'd hit six and 700 balls. I wouldn't have a dry thread on me, nor would he. And uh, when you when you sacrifice like that and you have a moment like that that we had there, uh, there's no words that can describe how you feel. It was just uh, – Freddie was my best friend, and he shared that moment with me. Hal, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to get your thoughts on the Brooks and Bryson rivalry. That's become a major topic of conversation all year. When I look back over time, I mean, you know, Jack Nicholson and Arnold Palmer, they were rivals for decades, but it wasn't like this. Azinger and Seve had a pretty heated rivalry, particularly around the Ryder Cup. Is the Brooks-Bryson thing, is, is that good for golf? it's not golf like I know it. Let me put it that way. I mean, it seems childish to me, but, um, you know, I, when I saw the uh, $40 million that the tour is putting up for basically a popularity contest, uh, it, it seems like it might bring this sort of thing on more. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to jump out on him and have an opinion here. You know, I don't see how anybody can beat Tiger in that. He's got 6 million followers on Twitter. You know, he's going to win that contest. <laughs> he, he's the, he is the needle. He doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. So, I mean, this might be an annuity for Tiger Woods, really. And how you captained the Ryder Cup team back in 2004. Steve Stricker is the captain this year. And now he has sort of the unenviable task of having to deal with Brooks and Bryson as members of this year's Ryder Cup team. So you got those two guys in the team room and let's not forget that Brooks and DJ got into it on the plane heading over to the last Ryder Cup matches over in France and then just for kicks let's let's throw Patrick Reed into the mix and now you've got a potential that this thing could turn into a circus how do how does Strick get these guys to become a team and to get along at least for a while and so this thing doesn't turn into a circus at Whistling Straits well there's only one way to do that, and I'm not sure it can be done. You know, everybody has to put a bigger cause ahead of themselves. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what social media and uh, the popularity of golf and everything else has caused. I mean, self is first. And, uh, you know, 
sometimes the unsung hero that's quiet, that is uh, puts something else ahead of himself. I'll give you a great example right there in, in Atlanta, Georgia, where you're at, Larry Nelson. You know, Larry Nelson never put himself ahead of this, and he had an incredible Ryder Cup record. Um, you know, I think that if somehow Steve can point out to these guys that this is bigger than them, maybe they've got a chance. But if their personalities are going to be, I'm bigger than this, and without us, this doesn't exist. This tournament doesn't exist without us. That's the wrong attitude to take up there. Instead, take the attitude, I'm playing for my country, and this is giving me a place to showcase my abilities for my country. If they could take that attitude out there, well, then the U.S. has a chance. Hal, before I let you go, remind our listeners about the great academy you have down there in Houston and how they can get a lesson from you either in person if they're in the area or even over on video. Well, it's Hal Sutton Golf, uh, and uh, we have our own website at Hal Sutton Golf, and uh, we have our podcast, which you've talked about, Be the Right Club, today. And um, happy to work with anybody that would like a little information. We also just started this thing called Let's Talk Golf, which is more about the mind game, and it's basically interacting with me. We do a Zoom call. Everybody can join that. You can find out about that on our uh, on our website. And it's pretty cool because we talk about all the mind instead of uh, the swing. What I've learned mostly from teaching, as long as I have, most people, it's harder as you age to make changes to your golf swing. But if you inventory your game, what you have, and what you don't have, and you play into your strengths and away from your weaknesses, and you learn how to sharpen your mental approach and your mindset, you can become a better player with what you have. Well, Hal, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always an honor to get to spend time with you. I can't thank you enough, my friend. You're fantastic. Thanks, Chris. I always enjoy being on the show with you. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Give my best to Chase as well. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. See you, Hal. That's a great Hal Sutton. You want to talk about pretty cool. Pretty cool is getting to spend some time with Hal and uh, kind of pick his brain, hear his stories. And then, like I say, go follow him on social media. Check out uh, the new stuff with the mental game. It's fantastic stuff and uh, get a lesson from them. If you're anywhere near Houston, you need to go check out the Academy. And if you're not, you can go online to HalSuttonGolf.com and send them a video of your swing and get to work with him that way. Either which way, Hal Sutton's an amazing person, and I've really enjoyed getting to know him. Look forward to having him back on the show again soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Sean McKeel, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's X-X-I-O-U-S-A.com and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back with me is a guy who has been a very important part of this show over the years, and that's 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. Sean is by far one of the most underrated players who's ever played out on tour. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for what he's achieved during the course of his career. He's a major champion, having won that PGA championship at Oak Hill. He very nearly backed it up at the 2006 PGA when he finished second to Tiger Woods at Medina. People tend to forget that. He would go on to defeat Tiger that year in the World Match Play Championship in the first round, 4-3. and three. Sean also has 20 top 10 finishes. 57 top 25s. He is only the second player to ever record a double eagle in the U.S. Open, which he did back in 2010 at Pebble Beach. He's coming off a tie for 53rd at the Senior Open Championship, and I'm very glad to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Sean, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, how are you? Good to be back with you. I'm fantastic. Talk about, catch us up. What's been going on with you this year? Well, it's just I've been busy. I've been busy with soccer. Matter of fact, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm watching my daughter out there with her with her school team. They're doing a little inter squad scrimmage. So it's uh it's been nonstop soccer. You know, Marin, uh she's fourteen and, and uh her club team qualified for the nationals and so they were down in Sarasota for the you know, you know, US youth soccer national championship. So it's been a summer kind of filled with uh filled with just watching watching her play and, and uh yeah, you know, it's been great. I've enjoyed that. And Sean, with with your golf game, it seems like there's a lot of positives to take out 
of how well you played at the Senior Open Championships, you know, particularly opening round, shot 69. Was uh, that the first time you had an opportunity to go over there and play at Sunningdale Golf Club? It is. It is. I mean, what a fantastic, fantastic golf course. Uh, you know, it was very, I would say, very lengthy in the feel of it, the way I think the bunkering was. But it was very American in the sense that uh, it was tree-lined, had some, had some rough, a lot of kind of rolling, moving fairways, some blind shots. So it was truly one of the best courses, and I'm glad I went. I, I had actually debated on not going just because of all the kind of the COVID restrictions and everything else that were, you know, kind of in place. But uh, I'm so glad I went. Got a chance to meet great people, and, of course, I love – you know, loves traveling the world and and uh, and playing all these different countries and different courses and everything. So uh, the golf was actually better than it than it turned out. Uh, I just I made made a lot of silly mistakes, but but uh, I think a lot of that just kind of hadn't played a lot of golf and played a little bit more aggressive than I would like. But I mean, Sunningdale was fantastic, and uh, I wouldn't hesitate to go back and play that course again. And Sean, to your point a moment ago, tree line. That's not something we're used to seeing at an open championship in Lynx course. Is that as unusual as I think it is? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of uh, the events that I've played over there, uh, you know, I think of the open championships that I played, you know, Troon and Hoy Lake and Carnoustie and those types of courses, just very untraditional. Um, you know, the, the golf course uh, was literally five minutes away from, from Wentworth, you know, southwest of England where I was, was uh, just – was a, you know, the drive from the hotel to the golf course was just tree lined the whole way. It's just a fantastic place. And, um, but, you know, getting back to the golf part of it, it's the fairways were as firm as you might find, uh, you know, anywhere in a length style, kind of a, it's a sand based course. So the fairways were very firm. And that was really what I struggled with most, most of all was, was trying to collect the ball, um, you know, and, and be able to, the greens were big, and, and but but really I struggled with the iron game. Um, so, but it truly was a fantastic, a lot of the caddies had, had basically ranked it in their top five courses of all time, which is a pretty good testament to, to what they have there. And John, you mentioned the bunkers a moment ago, and they are typically very deep, which would scare me to death. How do you prepare and practice for getting out of bunkers like that when we have, you know, our our bunkers are very different. We don't typically see the steep walls like they have over there well you know too the way that their sand over there was very firm so a lot of times the balls were kind of rolling up against the lip so i mean you were having to avoid those really at all costs um but they weren't layered bunkers what i found was interesting is the the, the lips of the bunkers were all seemed like concrete so nothing would bury um you know in the bunkers unless you really really un, you know unlucky but you know it's it's at a typical course, you know, you look at like St. Andrews where there's, you know, 150 bunkers. Um, you know, you're having to avoid those at all costs because they truly are a penalty. Um, you know, it's basically a chip out. And these were similar, but the fairways were wide enough that it really took kind of a, a you know, a wayward shot to kind of find find one, um, which is why I think you saw the scores were pretty low for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you try to avoid them and then you just basically, you know, you just attack it like you attack any other shot. You know, you walk in there and you kind of see what you have. If you have a shot that's playable, then, you know, you kind of do that. Otherwise you just have to take your medicine and kind of get out. But, um, you know, it, like I said, I, I can't say enough good things about, about the, 
you know, the time that I had over there and, and, uh, you know, the course and the way it was designed and the way that it played. And, and, uh, you know, I'm just grateful that, that they even had the event with all the things that have been kind of going on in the world the last couple of years. It, it's, uh, it, it's fantastic for European tour golf, uh, you know, to be able to get an event like that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, played. And Sean, when you're preparing to play in an open championship and in a link style golf course, is it different? Is it a different mindset for how you want to play the golf course than it is when you're playing a course over here? I mean, definitely. I mean, you know, you know, American golf is, you know, typically played through the air. Um, a lot of forced carries, and and over there, you know, you'll see you'll see people, you know, that can putt the ball from 30, 40 yards off the green. So it's a type of golf. You, you have shots that maybe you don't ever practice. Um, you take equipment with you that basically is designed for American style golf. And I, and I think of, you know, maybe more bounce on your wedge. I mean, you might, you might use a wedge, a, a, a lob wedge, you know, it's got 10, 12 degrees of bounce. And over there, you know, you, you, you have such tight fairways that you, the lob shot that you want to hit. So those are often things that really kind of play into the course management um, you know, of how you, how you play, um, you know, the wind of course is, is prevalent over there typically. And, and when you don't see the wind, you know, you see, you see ultra low scores. Um, but, but it, there's really no way to get a feel for that type of golf unless you're over there, which is why you see so many players now playing the Scottish open the week before the open championship, uh, because it, it is a new, well, one, you're getting acclimated to the time, but other, you know, you're trying to, trying to get a feel for uh, the technique, you know, that you need to use, um, you know, to play around those types of courses. So it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's nothing like, it's nothing like American golf. It's, and it's actually fun. I mean, it's really fun, of course, until the gun goes off and then you're faced with a, a shot that you don't ever get to play. And, and sometimes you look a little bit silly, but as you watch on TV, you'll see a player, you know, hit a shot 15, 20 feet away from the hole. And yet they'll still receive some applause from the gallery because they understand you know, the type of golf and the difficulty of the shots and stuff like that. So it's a bit refreshing sometimes. And, um, you know, you, you get you get a clap or two when, when you hit it 20 feet from the hole, and ordinarily you're pretty disappointed. And, Sean, earlier this year at the Senior PGA Championship, you got off to a similar start as you did at the Open Championship, opening round 69. Talk about playing at Southern Hills and your experience this year at the Senior PGA. Well, you know, I've had a tough year. I had a surgery in November and, uh, you know, without, you know, going crazy here, it, 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 uh, uh, I was really affected by something that happened to me post-surgery and I had not really felt well until about a month ago, maybe five, six weeks ago. It's just been a long, tough kind of recovery, but, um, you know, we played, we played Southern Hills in 07 and it's a different, it's a different style of course. It really is. It's, uh, they had redesigned it and, and, uh, you know, it just, it's not necessarily one of my favorite, favorite golf courses. Um, you know, it just, it's pretty long, even in the, in, you know, in the senior open or the senior PGA, they played it pretty long. Um, got some quirky holes on it, but, but look, anytime you're playing a, a major championship like that, it's, uh, you know, it's exciting because it gets, gets really, you know, the best field in, in golf. So um, I, I just kind of went into it. You know, the PGA was a week before the, the P, you know, the senior PGA. And then another event, I just really struggled just, just for some, some reasons that were related, you know, to a surgery that I had. So 
Um, I didn't really get a good <laughs> a good feel uh, for playing. I think just making the cut was probably pretty good for me. Sean, switching gears a little bit, and folks may not know this about you, but you're a pilot, and your father was a pilot, flew for many years for FedEx, and we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attack, and that year you were coming from, I believe, the Canadian Open, finished up on Sunday, uh, September 11th. That year was on a Tuesday, and the Tampa Bay Classic was the, was the next event on the PGA Tour schedule, and, uh, and that event, obviously, and then the WGC Championship in Missouri, they were both canceled. But uh, where were you when everything happened, and how did you and your father as pilots deal with, you know, all the planes having to land and then obviously the tragedy of the event? Well, you know, that Sunday, I remember, I think I finished 10th, I think, 9th or 10th in the Canadian Open. And just due to a late flight, you know, my flight was canceled on Sunday. So I had to fly home on Monday, uh, which was the 10th. And I went out and, and uh, you know, I, I mowed the yard. It was 100 degrees in Memphis. For some reason, I wasn't feeling very good. I got ended up getting a kidney stone. And so I missed, I didn't have to cancel my flight on Monday uh, because of a kidney stone. I ended up, it was the first one I'd ever had. Uh, so I spent the night and a few hours in the hospital. And then the next day I woke up and I was going to fly out uh, and then woke up to what was going on. Um, you know, and sadly, I, I was doing business with uh, Cantor Fitzgerald. There's a, a gentleman named Fred Veraki that passed away. Uh, that worked for Cantor Fitzgerald was in the first tower. Um, and I was actually in, I had windows, uh, had lunch with him at Windows on the World restaurant uh, probably about five or six weeks prior to those events happening. And uh, I just, you know, had the visualization of, of those people being up in that 104th floor to 110, I think. Um, but uh, just, I'm, it's just hard to, I mean, I, you know, you can't really put into words. Uh, really, my you know my father was flying. He got a uh, message over what they called a cars, which is a kind of a electronic way for the company to send messages uh, through a satellite. And basically, he was going to. My dad was in the Philippines, and so he was over there for a while longer because he couldn't get back to the United States due to the, the you know basically the you know FAA shutting down all the airspace. Um, you know, so it was you know, kind of a harrowing time as we saw and we all of us lived it, you know, live as it was happening. And of course, you know, 20 years later, we, we, uh, you know, we're kind of living through kind of seeing how the security and everything really changed. The world really changed, um, you know, in a lot of ways, but, you know, just, I guess just being an aviator, it, it, uh, it was frightening really to see, you think about, I mean, I remember going, all of us remember my age that, you know, your parents could drop you off at the airport. They could come to the gate. And, you know, there was a little bit of security, but but uh, you know, now now it's uh, you know it's hard to believe that it's been 20 years. But yeah, it really affected uh, well, it affected everybody. I mean, I can't really put into words. I certainly didn't didn't lose a family member, but I but I knew somebody and was, was doing business with them that, that uh, uh, their family was affected. So. Um, it's hard to it's hard to really describe, especially to your kids. You know, your kids will see see on the anniversary every year how they kind of relive the event. They ask a lot of questions, but uh, it's just truly a tragic tragic time. Switching gears, Sean, to more happy memories, and um, you hit the best shot, the best approach shot in major championship history. 
at the 2003 PGA. Seven iron to two inches that secured the win on 18. And the last I recall from our earlier conversations, that club, that seven iron, wasn't in the World Golf Hall of Fame where it belongs. And I don't, I don't even think it was in a shadow box hanging over the mantle at your house. I've read recently that it was actually, at least once upon a time, in a beat-up cardboard box in yeah. your golf guitar room. Is that still where it is, or has it got its right yeah. place under a spotlight nope. somewhere? Nope, it's still in an old beat-up. Uh, probably it's an old Cleveland box that you would like ship a set of irons in. You know, I've, all my clubs are in there. Um, I see, I'm not sure I'm missing a club. No, I, every club's in there. So, you know, I have my seven. I, I've been asked for it, um, not not recently. Um, I, you know, maybe at some point I'll I'll part with it. You know, it. But every, you know, not every day anymore. I go up in my golf room and I'll pull it out. And a lot of times I look at it just to kind of see, like, okay, what was my lying? And I was certainly a lot more upright as a player back in the day. So it's really the one kind of takeaway. But I still have the original grips and, and everything on them. I never changed anything after after that, you know. So, um, you know, every now and then I'll get it out and I'll just look at it and I'll sit up there and I'll just kind of reminisce about, uh, you know, things. And and uh, it's kind of a dangerous, it's a dangerous time for me, really, because it's the longer that I go without really playing a whole lot of golf. I kind of relive a lot of memories and maybe um, – you know, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of a lot of struggle. I mean, and uh, you know, like I said, the longer that I'm away from the game, it certainly questions whether whether I was really that great of a player or not. Um, you know, those are my own battles to fight, I suppose. But but um, you know, I'm envious really of the of the young kids today, and and uh, the way that the game has changed. Uh, you know, the money that they're playing for. Um, but what I don't envy is I don't envy the social media aspect. And you touched on it a little with uh, with Hal a minute ago in, in, in reference to Ricky Fowler. Um, I think all of us, you know, when you start out playing the game, you're just happy to be there. You're you're not expected to do a whole lot, uh, even though he was a great player at Oklahoma State, uh, comes out and, and, and plays and, and not a whole, whole lot of pressure. But with more wins, you know, comes more pressure. And I certainly felt that in my in, – in, with what happened to me, um, you know, I should have won the BC Open the year before. Hal, Hal mentioned that he should have won, he had a six-shot lead the year before, and then went on to win the PGA. And in me, in 2002, I had a three-shot lead with going for Jeff Sluman's all-time record, which I believe was 21 or 22 under for four days at Endicott, and, and I bogeyed the last two holes. Now, the last bogey was due to the fact that I needed a birdie, but... but um, you know, you look at some of the things, just the pressure um, that players put on themselves, and it's magnified tenfold with, with social media, um, you know, out there. And I, I, I do feel bad, I think, for the kids because they, I think they feel like they need need a presence, whether it's for their sponsors or, or themselves or whatever the case may be. So um, I'm envious of the kids uh, uh, with the way they play the 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 global nature of the game. We're seeing new scheduling come out. It was a, came out today. Um, so there's a lot. It's really exciting. It's a, it's a global game. It's televised 24-7, um, you know, and it's, but at the same time, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressures that these kids face, um, you know, both internally and, and then, you know, with the social media aspect too. So it's, uh, it's a great time to be a golfer if you can just kind of put down the social media. 
John, looking ahead to the rest of this calendar year, and as you mentioned, the 2021 season has already come out, at least on the PGA Tour side. We'll see on the on the Champions Tour side. But are we going to get to see more of you out there playing the rest of this year? Yeah, you know, like I said, I'm I'm feeling great. I really I really am. I'm playing. Uh, I leave Monday. I'm going to Calgary for a week. Then I'm coming back home for a week. Then going up to Flint, Michigan for a week. And you know, not being an exempt player, uh, I think it is, has been tough. Um, but you know, the Champions Tour, it's it's uh, you know, you really got, have got to do some great things out there. I mean, the players are players are incredible. You know, the competition is is high high level out there, and uh, there's only so many spots. And um, so, you know, it's really on my own. If you, if you play well, they can't keep you out. But uh, I just haven't had a, a lot a lot going on. You know, last year with coronavirus, we lost three to three and a half months of the season where nobody really got a chance to play. We didn't have the, we didn't have Q school in December of last year. So I basically kind of stuck in the same rut. But but um, I'm getting a chance to play a little bit more, and, and I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, it's been a blessing, I think, to be able to watch both my children you know, compete and my son's a rising senior and, and he's getting some looks at from colleges and soccer and everything. So that's exciting for me. Um, you know, I, I look, I love golf. I love playing. I love competing. There's nothing better than when I get out there and, and I get to be around my friends and, and, uh, you know, we can, you know, just talk about, uh, we don't, you know, we don't talk about the past I mean, we're talking about the future, how to, how to improve the champions tour. I mean, what are some of the things we need to do to, to really bring more people into the, you know, into the game and stuff like that. So our conversations are quite a bit different um, than they used to be. I don't think we're quite as selfish as we used to be. It's a tough sport. It's a tough sport. It can be lonely at times and, and, uh, but, but it's fantastic. And so, you know, I'm just excited about getting out there and, and, uh, and playing when I can and, and certainly trying to be, trying to become an exempt player. Um, but, uh, but I'm enjoying watching, uh, you know, my two children and and uh, and doing their thing. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Sean, before I let you go, remind our listeners how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and keep track of you when <laughs> when you're playing, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, you know, I chuckle at that because I because I'm such a boring follow, you know, and uh, it's okay. I'm more of a follower uh than a leader but but uh you know you can find me on twitter i'm on twitter i do a little bit of facebook stuff but but uh you know i don't i don't have the presence that i probably should have and I, there's no way i'm ever going to become part of that player impact program on the tour that uh that's made headlines so, <laughs> so recently but but uh it's okay that the tour feels like they need to do that for these players but um uh i you know i interact with people i if people send me something i'll i'll, I'll respond but uh for the most part, I'm a boring follow. Well, Sean, I can't thank you enough for taking time away from the soccer game tonight to come back and be a part of the show. I've missed having you on here. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. Chris, I always enjoy it. I really do. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You bet, Sean. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. That's a great Sean McKeel again, folks. And I mean this sincerely, a guy who is very underrated over the course of his career, won a PGA and nearly won a second one. Uh, you know, again, you know, that finished, you know, second to Tiger. So no shame in that. And then would go on to defeat Tiger at the WGC not long after that, four and three in the first round of that tournament. So Sean had plenty of game, still has plenty of game. Looking forward to seeing him more out on the Champions Tour and catching up with him again soon.
Okay, before I get to my next guest, Jason Hayes, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back in next on the tee with me is Jason Hayes. Jason is one of the top instructors in the game. He's from Tucumcari, New Mexico. He attended the New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico. He earned a certification as a PGA professional from the PGA of America back in 1998. He may be the most decorated person ever in the Northern Texas PGA section. He served as vice president and then president for several years. Jason won the Bill Strasbaugh Award several times, which is the top honor given in the PGA West Texas chapter. He was the chapter's golf professional of the year three times and teacher of the year twice. He was also the Merchandiser of the Year for private clubs in 2004 and 2006. He was named the Manager of the Year in 1998 by Four Star Golf Corporation. He won the Northern Texas PGA Championship in 2010. He helped start up and coach the golf program at Angelo State University and helped get that program to national prominence in only their second year of existence. He is now the Director of Instruction at Buffalo Dunes Golf Course in Garden City, Kansas. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jason, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. How are you this evening? I'm fantastic, thank you. And, uh, Jason, hey, first of all, congratulations to you and everybody out there at Buffalo Dunes for being named one of the best municipal courses in the country by Golf Magazine. You guys were number eight, and that's just below a couple of the best page courses. And then uh, Chambers Bay and Torrey Pines ahead of you as well. But, heck, you guys had to be pretty excited about coming in number eight there. You know, it was, uh, it was quite, the, quite the honor, um, quite the surprise. You know, we're, we're in the middle, we're in year two of a five-year renovation. And um, just the entire community, Garden City, the staff out of Buffalo Dunes, our golf course superintendent, and stuff um i mean it's just all the pieces have come together and uh, we're finally kind of getting the recognition that that western kansas deserves when it comes to golf um buffalo dunes is is uh, definitely it's going to just keep getting better over the next five years um we'll complete the plan in uh 2026 which is which is our 50-year anniversary so we're everybody's pretty excited 
ever since that article has come out, we've we've picked up play from all four corners of the country. It's it's been uh, pretty phenomenal for us. So I want to get into all of that, Jason. And first of all, talk about the Buffalo Dunes course. And it looks like obviously coming in as high as it did, this is a course we all need to add to our bucket list. Talk to us about it. You know, the, the golf course um, is in the middle of some sand hills south of town, about six miles. Um, the original designer, Frank Hummel, um, I mean, it, it just built a really, really great golf course. And when Clay and I got here back, uh, this this will be my I'll be starting my fifth season, uh, the middle of this month, which is which is crazy to um, how fast time flies. But Clay and I kind of got together, Clay Payne, our golf course superintendent, and you know the 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 bones to make this place extremely special um, are there. And we started working on a on the golf course improvement plan. Um, we got two architects involved. Um, Todd Clark, CE Golf Design out of Kansas City, and then a young guy named Zach Vardy, Vardy Golf. Uh, Zach does a lot of bunker uh, stuff for Kurz Crenshaw, and this is kind of his first uh, rattle out of the box. And um, just all the pieces came together. Uh, the golf course kind of doesn't fit the landscape out there, so Clay and I's original thought was we need to bring this more into what western Kansas looks like, or these sand hills. And so we got together, um, Zach and Todd presented a plan. We, you know, we tweaked a little bit, um, and it's kind of a living document. We're kind of tweaking it as we go a little bit. Um, we're getting rid of quite a few trees. Um, the property is huge, and it was more like a parkland golf course in the inner city, and we're kind of bringing it back, I think, to Mr. Hummel's original idea, which is, you know, prairie style um clay's got a lot of experience he was up at uh dismal uh in nebraska and then was at valley neal and then uh came to us um just april, the april before i got there in august and it's it's just been we've become a great team and and uh the i think the idea that we had of the remodel of the golf course the city bought in um, at the end of the day, we are reducing our footprint out there. We're, we're getting rid of 20 irrigatable acres of turf, uh, con converting it back into native. Um, we're adding a fourth set of tees. All the greens and bunker complexes are going to be uh, different. Um, it's just going to be more playable. But at the end of the day, for the city of Garden City, it's going to cost less to operate. Uh, it's going to cost less to maintain, and it's going to use less water. And uh, I think I think we're being really good stewards of of uh, what we're able to do. So we're I mean we're really excited. The community is excited. Um, it's been fantastic. And Jason, talking about the community, I mean they've pitched in to help with some of the labor. I read. Talk about how the project has actually brought the community together. So the original price turnkey to to do the entire project was. A little over eight hundred thousand um, dollars. This past season, twenty twenty one, which we started in twenty twenty, um, we did we rebuilt three greens, added uh, some new bunker complexes, new keys. Um, but what we did is we've got a acre of putting green that's our bent grass nursery, and then we converted the back of our driving range into a bluegrass nursery. 
Um, we grew that in, and then uh, we pretty much did everything in-house. Um, our Parks and Rec Department came out and helped lay sod our, on the new greens. Our zoo uh, came out and helped lay sod. The sod that we cut um, out of the areas to convert back into natives, that was uh, used at the zoo and a few other areas in town. Um, and then the last green we uh, we laid uh, was just our golfers. We you know we sent out an email and social media and said, hey, we need some help. We had about 30 people show up. Uh, it took us about three hours to lay the sod and bought everybody some drinks and cold beers and pizza and and it's just it's just been a community effort. Um, the city of Garden City is is amazing, and the people in Garden City are amazing. I mean, it's it's the most eclectic group of people you can imagine. Um, it is uh, it's just a great spot. I I love it. It's been fantastic for me. Um, I, I can't say enough about it. Jason, you mentioned a moment ago at Lake Prairie Golf. Take us around the course and give us an idea of the beauty of the golf course and and the style of play it requires. So there, there's a lot of up and down. The golf course is about 7,000 yards. Um, you can use every club in your bag. Um, it's, it's funny that you ask, ask that right now. The, the golf course is surrounded by, right now we've got alfalfa fields, and they're in the middle of mowing alfalfa. So everybody's, you, you come out and play, and you leave kind of sniffling, and your allergies get flared up a little bit. But, um, I mean, it's, it is in the middle of sand hills and, and not just little sand hills, great big sand hills. And so number one is, uh, kind of a hard dog leg right par four. You, you can hit driver and have a little wedge. Um, number two is actually going to be a hole that we uh, redesigned this coming September. Um, we're going to be taking out some of the pine trees, adding some bunkering down the right side, uh, rebuilding the green. Um, adding a little more undulation into it, um, having a couple of uh, bunkers down the left side, uh, short of the green. Um, again, you can hit, depending on the which way the wind's blowing, if the wind's blowing out of the south, you may hit driver seven iron. If it's blowing out of the north, um, you're going to hit driver sand wedge. Um, you definitely have to hit it straight. Uh, the, the native grasses, you know, right now you uh, – you hit it in that stuff, you're not going to find it. it. It's kind of funny. One of the things we've done um, this season is we, we actually had a gentleman come out with a uh, swather, a uh, big tractor, and cut the native and then come back in and, and make some hay bales, 1,000-pound uh, hay bales. And, and uh, I think we've gotten 25 to 30 of those so far. We've probably done a third of the golf course. And um, we'll be continuing that through – throughout the remainder of the season. Number three is a brand-new par three, um, about 200 yards. Uh, number four is going to be a hole that's it's probably the easiest par five on the golf course. Um, you can hit driver eight iron or you can hit driver three wood, depending on what the wind's going to do, but we have some, some plans for that to possibly lengthen that out a little bit. There's really not a bad hole on the golf course, Chris. It's uh, – it's a pretty special place. Um, I mean, I could talk about it for 45 minutes. The the amount of wildlife that's out uh, at the course. I mean, we we had our big uh, men's partnership this weekend. We call it the L Dose, and uh, 
Clay and I were out on hole number uh, six and kind of looking up at one of the alfalfa fields and one of the sand dunes, and, and there's uh, some uh, big mule deer that are in velvet, and uh, probably five or six bucks. And, I mean, it's it's just a really cool spot. Um, and we're we're going to bring it back into kind of that that prairie style or that golf courses that are in the sand dunes, you know, like a prairie dunes or some some other golf courses in Kansas. Jason, I want to switch it up a little bit. I want to talk about the great junior golf program you're running up there. And I particularly like a, a post I saw, make a birdie and coach carries all the golf bags back to the clubhouse sort of contest. Talk about that. Well, so that was part of a, that was one of our PGA Junior League practices. Um, we have about 38 kids that signed up uh, this season, which is, uh, which is our biggest group ever. Um, but I ended up with, uh, th- that day we went out on the golf course and, and played uh, about four holes and the girls, I ended up with the older girls and they were, uh, they weren't hitting it particularly well and I was giving them a hard time and I told them, uh, told them, I said, if y'all, if one of y'all's groups make a birdie on this hole, I'll carry all your golf bags in. And we were about 400 yards from the clubhouse. Um, and there's not an easy, there's really not an easy way to walk to get where we were at. And lo and behold, uh, one of the girls hit it on the green. I actually almost made a two, made birdie and, uh, they didn't even wait on me and it was time to go. <laughs> they, uh, left me with, with five golf bags and a push cart and, uh, off they went. Um, and, one of the girls stuck around. Her name was uh, Sophia Hernandez, and she, or excuse me, not Sophia Hernandez, works in our uh, for the City of Garden City with uh, Jamie Stewart and kind of does all of our social media. But so little Sophia, she kind of hung out with me, and it took me about 15 minutes to get back to uh, the clubhouse carrying all these bags, and it, it was kind of fun. Um, and, and and we, you know myself and my staff we kind of do some of the stuff like that just to um we will do push-ups if they like things you know do things well or vice versa so we we try to make it as fun as possible and uh, that day I, I ended up losing and carrying five golf bags and a push cart so <laughs> that's awesome so jason i gotta uh, get a playing lesson from you before i let you go on a uh, course like you've got there and a sand course and Talk about wedge game. If I if I'm coming out to to Buffalo Dunes to play, talk about the the right bounce of the wedge that I'm going to need to play there. And if I'm a if I'm a guy struggling hitting my wedges fast, how do I correct that? So it's it's interesting you ask that question. I actually gave a lesson today to uh, one of our juniors. Um, so Buffalo Dunes, um, we have very very thick uh, and healthy bluegrass. So it's not like playing in West Texas. Um, I mean, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to get an eight iron or nine iron a lot of the times and hit some bumper run shots. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to use some loft. And, you know, we, the, the more loft, the better, I think, on, on some of the uh, holes around the golf course because um, you short side yourself. And so what we worked on today out of the, out of the thick bluegrass is almost you almost have to attack it like a bunker shot. Um, I'll call it flashing the grass. Um, 
And what happens when people tend to splash the grass, they continue to swing the club through the grass instead of at the ball. And so we'd spend a lot of time um, working on that swing. And then we introduced the golf ball. Um, and we usually have pretty good success. Now, I am a guy that I prefer to have the more bounce, the better, is my opinion. Um, you, it, it just, there's less error, I think, that can go wrong. And, and unless you're a guy that practices your short game all the time or you have, you know, really, really soft hands, um, the more bounce, the better, in my opinion. It just, it interacts with the turf better. Um, it's, I think the versatility of having more bounce, you know, you can use it off a tight lie, you can use it off a lie that's a very thick. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's how I like to approach it. And Jason, every year you guys host the Garden City Charity Classic on the Symmetra Tour. Talk about getting to spend a week with some of the best young players out on that Symmetra Tour that are LPGA hopeful. You know, um, it, it, it's amazing uh, the quality of golfers and the quality of lady golfers that have come through here the last four years since I've been here. Um, there's, uh, you know, Sophia Popoff is, is a good example. She played here in uh, 2019, finished, I believe she finished in the top 10, and then goes on and wins the British Women's Open. Um, she played in Garden City, Kansas the year before. I mean, there's a there's another lady uh, I've got to know really well. Um, her name is uh, Jenny Coleman and, and uh, Kristen Coleman, uh, sisters out of California. Um, they're both fantastic players. Um, Kristen's still uh, playing Symmetra. Jenny is out on LPGA now and has had quite a quite a year. She uh, I can't remember who she beat in the uh, match play, but she waxed. Uh, one of the ladies, I think, one of the top ten players in the world, and she waxed her pretty good. So the the quality of golfer that uh, is coming through Garden City is amazing. Um, I mean, we're the smallest community uh, in the country that, that hosts the Symmetra Tour event, and, and again, it just goes back to the, the quality of the community that we have. Um, you know, the other the other program that I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about was, was the junior college team this year. We actually finished fourth in the country, um, which was the lowest finish that we've ever had. And uh, we had some great kids. And, and uh, I mean, there's just lots of great things golf-wise going on in our community. Well, Jason, congratulations on all the great things that are happening out there. Let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with the great things that you're doing? Uh, whether it's online you know, or it's on social media. You can uh, follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow Buffalo Dunes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can go to our website, buffalodunes.org, and uh, find all that information. Um, we've, all, we've, we've always got something going on. Um, we've got, uh, just like probably every other golf course in the country between now and end of the season we've got outing season going on so um we'll have some pretty pretty good posts of uh, some really good golfers and some really bad golfers so um 
we, we try to maintain that social media presence and, and uh, make it enjoyable. And, and you know, we've always, there's always something going on. Um, I think I sent you a picture last night. I was in Dighton, Kansas, uh, for a junior clinic. The golf course there has sand greens, and we're lined up down the number one fairway, and a guy decides to plow his uh, field next to us, and it looks like a big dirt storm's going on. So there's, it seems like there's there's always something new that uh, that happens out here. But it's again, it it keeps us on our toes, and it's wonderful. Well, Jason, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a lot of fun when you join me in the segment. Yeah. Best of luck to yes, everybody out there, to you, the Buffalo Dunes, and all of that. You guys are awesome. I uh, I appreciate you, um, and uh, appreciate all your shouts out all the time on social media. I mean, your listeners uh, have got a fantastic podcast, and uh, like I always say, you're you're one of the true gentlemen in the game of golf. So I appreciate your friendship and and everything. I appreciate being on the show as always. Right back at you, Jason. Take care, my friend. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to the opportunity of catching up with you again soon. Yes, sir. You too, and uh, have a have a great rest of, rest of August, and we'll uh, hopefully talk to you before the end of the year. Thanks, Jason. Take care, my friend. Thanks, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's a great Jason Hayes, at Hayes Jason, H-A-S-E Jason P-G-A on, uh, on Twitter is his handle and uh, on uh, Instagram as well. Jason is a wonderful human being. He's doing a great job with the junior program. You heard him talk about the uh, the junior college team as well. And then Buffalo Dunes, folks, no joke, number eight on the best municipal courses in the country. And just, you know, the ones above it are ones that you know, right? You think about the the courses at Beth Page being right up there and then uh, Chambers Bay and Torrey Pines. When you're in that company, you know the golf course is fantastic. So look forward to catching up with Jason and hear how uh, the, the next piece of the renovation goes. Hopefully we'll do that again real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Eric Johnson, let me remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance. From the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. All right, now back in making his 15th appearance with me here on Next on the T is Eric Johnson. Eric has been a great friend both on and off the show since the very beginning. It's almost eight years to the day since Eric first joined me back on August 23rd of 2014. Eric has been a Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a Top 40 Under 40 teacher. Played his college golf at Mississippi State where he was a four-year letterman from 1992 to 1995. 
helped them win back-to-back Kroger Intercollegiate titles in 94 and 95. He is a four-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He has won the Horton Smith Award multiple times, so many times they should change the name to the Eric Johnson Award. Eric played out on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. He was a director of instruction for years at the Oakmont Country Club and is now out at Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. Eric is not only one of my favorite all-time guests here on the show, but just one of my favorite people anywhere on the planet. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, how you doing? Great intro, man. Like I say, I've said it multiple times. You're the you're the most prepared man in radio. I, I just don't know how you come up with all this stuff. I'm blushing over here. I gotta get a <laughs> you know, I gotta get, cool my face down. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you, Eric. I used to be good, my friend. How how are things in Big Chai's country, Chris? They're they're amazing. You know, we uh, we thought that little place I worked at in the past. Uh, on that little tiny hill was something. But when you come out and see the number one mountain club in the world, and that's Yellowstone Club, the big guy, it, it is a thing to behold. I, good friend of mine from Pittsburgh, his brother-in-law is a member here, and he flew out tonight, and he said, Eric, I, I have no words. I, I've never seen, all I can say is, wow. And it, it's stunning. It's a stunning property. Mr. Weisskopf built us a fantastic golf course. And, and I think last year, I think, you know, when everyone was out here quarantining, you know, I think people started to really realize how great Montana was. And then you saw it on the match. It made um, Moonlight Basin is just on the other side of Lone Peak from us. And it's just the views are stunning. The, the wildlife, I mean, I've, I've seen bears. I've seen moose. I've seen elk. I've seen mule deer. I've seen it all this year. I even saw a wolf. And, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, words can't describe it. It's really – it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you, Eric, my, my wife will, will tell you, I'm ready to chuck it all and buy an RV and move to Montana. So um, <laughs> give me a flavor of the golf course itself, the surrounding, and what it's like to play at it, uh, play Yellowstone Club. Yeah, well, you can, you know, Chris, you can stand there and you can look, you know, and see mountain ranges that are 50 miles away. And the views and the vistas are are spectacular. Um, you guys saw it on the, you know, if you watched the the match, it was amazing, and that's the same stuff we're looking at. It's literally just on the other side of Lone Peak from us. It's, if you got in the chopper, it's probably a one minute chopper ride. But if you, you know, have to go down around the mountain, it's probably about forty minutes to get over to, to uh, Moonlight Basin, where they played the match. But it was, uh, it's the vistas are incredible. You know, most every day we've got these bluebird days. And, you know, we've got a little smoke in the area now because of some of the wildfires. But, you know, it's just when you're standing there and you can see mountain ranges for 50 miles, it, it's just stunning. It's a stunning mountain course. Eric, as you know, I had Bob Ford on the show last week, and you worked uh, for Bob for many years there at, at Oakmont. Talk about your relationship with him and the round of golf that you guys got to play there at Yellowstone. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I, you know, I was disappointed in you. You, you. you forgot to bring up his probably, his, you know, his favorite employee he's ever had. You know, I worked there for 17 <laughs> years for that guy. <laughs> he might have a different story than that. But, uh, you know, of, of all the things, all the great things that have ever been, you know, written about Bob and the superlatives that have been said about him, they're all true. And it still doesn't live up to how great that man is. 
Um, in my opinion, he is absolutely the best PGA professional the game has ever seen and maybe ever will. Um, I got so fortunate in my career. I'm getting a little choked up about it, but, you know, for 17 years of my career, you know, he was the, he was my guy. And, uh, you know, he's just uh, been like an older brother. You could even say kind of father figure. And I've never seen anybody that had the ability to bring up the absolute perfect words when the situation needs it. Now, he, it, and it doesn't matter if you lost a tournament or something bad happened at work. He always has something to pull you up by. And, I mean, he's just – he's the Chris Kyle of PGA Professionals. He's a legend. He uh, he came out and we played – we played Yellowstone Club. He got invited uh, by Mike Raleigh, who owns Straight Down, to come and play in his uh, member guest at Spanish Peak. Now, think about this, Chris. He was at Oakmont for, what, 37, 38 years, seminal for 23 or 4. I don't remember what it was. <clears throat> but he's hosted all those member guests. Now he got to play in one. <laughs> he said, Eric, I had so much fun. It was a blast. And, you know, but he got there and, you know, obviously, it's a when he shows up, everybody wants to come and say hi, and so our senior vice president of operations runs the whole place and was there, and our director of golf. And I said, Bob, want to take the tee, you know? And typical for takes the ball, throws it onto the tee, you know. And the first hole is a that's three wood hole, you know, aim at the 150 little stake right in the middle of the fairway. Some bunkers on the right, some environmental area comes in on the left. He rolls the ball out on the tee, no tee, takes a three-wood, just strikes it right down the middle. And Mike said, oh, my God, if that hits the, the 150 stake, it's a two-shot penalty. I mean, it, it was on a rope. It was on a rope, <laughs> right down the middle. And I'm like, no tee, no practice ring. I'm like, this guy, I can't beat this guy. And uh, we had a we had a really nice match. I had, I had uh, you know, we were, my son and I played Bob and Mike, and uh my son was a little bulky out in the beginning, and I—I I don't know what happened. I buried three of the last four, and, uh, and we still lost. You know, one down. And you know, I just can't beat that guy. I—I I told him about how, you know, I've, how many times in match play I've had him down in the tri-state match play, and then this other one we played in. He goes, "Well, it's probably going to happen again today, son." You know, I'm like, "Oh God, he's—he's he, he, <laughs> he's, he's always, he's always on top of me. Can never, I can never get past this guy." But it was—it was great to see him and. You know, for, you know, it was kind of uh, really kind of the shoe was on a different foot. Like, I got to host him for a change instead of him always hosting me somewhere. And uh, it was great to see him. Yeah, he's it's just what a guy. And, and you you know, Tom Patrick and all the boys, everyone says the same thing. And everything, I, I yep. can't say it enough. Like, everything that's been written about the guy, it still doesn't live up to how great he is. I, I've just, I've never seen anyone that smooth. He could play. He could teach. He could merchandise he you know he had the merchandising rights the last pga professional to do that in 94 and i want to say i don't know if he'd want me to say it but i think we did about six million that week of the open and, wow. and then i think the usga kind of finally said now wait a minute why are we giving all this money away but uh uh, but yeah, he he could do it all. He play his business skills were amazing. I mean, think about it. You run Seminole in Oakmont, and uh, I always kid him. I said, Ah, oh, you just got good guys running. You just play golf. 
And, and there might be some truth to that. He might not want me to say that either, but I did it. <laughs> Eric, from a classy guy like Bob Ford to a couple of knuckleheads, I want to get your thoughts on the Brooks and Bryson rivalry that's uh, been going on this year. Is that good for golf? I have no idea. It's comical. I know it's a little comical, and it's perplexing the same way. I mean, to think that two grown men are going to take Twitter and try to roast each other every, you know, five minutes is kind of funny. But, uh, you know, if I was Captain if I was Captain Stricker, I might give the boys a call and say, hey, boy, you know, cut it out. But um, it is kind of comical, you know. I mean, quite frankly, I thought Bryson was so out of line when he said that comment about his driver sucking. and uh, you know, when you when you get paid that much money by your sponsor, um, to say your driver sucks is kind of a hmm, wow, that's a head scratcher. But but I loved it when Brooks came back and said, man, I love mine. So you know, I don't know. I it's just a it, it's it's a it's an oddity. It's perplexing. It's just you know, listen, there might be some teachers that I don't think are the best or you know, or do it right or wrong or what, you know what I mean? But but I'm not going to take to Twitter and troll them all day. I mean, I I just think they're big boys. They should put the big boy pants on and just kind of cut it out. I mean, you know what, you know what else I might do? If I was Steve Stricker, I'd pair them together. And people say, pair them together? Yeah. Put them. Yes, I would. I'd put them together and say, boys, go out, do battle, figure it out, and cut this shit out. That's what I'd tell them. <laughs> now, whether it would work or not, it, it kind of didn't work with Tiger and Phil, though. You know, so I look back at it and I go, huh. But I think deep down, I think deep down, I, you know, I think Phil was a guy who, you know, had all those wins and, you know, then Tiger just was kind of couldn't couldn't get out of him and and poor Ernie Ells, I think, you know, Tiger just about ruined that guy. Uh, I mean, but I still think <laughs> Tiger and Tiger and Phil were a, a little bit closer than than what we might have known. And then now you see it. Now they are. And, you know, the stuff they do with the matches and the celebrity stuff, I I think it's good. And, you know, hopefully we see the GOAT back here pretty soon. I, I hope his leg heals up. But uh, I don't know what to think about this thing with Bryson Brooks. Kind of comical, actually. Yeah, hard to say. <laughs> you know, Eric, you mentioned Captain Stricker. As we look ahead to the Ryder Cup, I mean, you're going to have those two there. You, you, you might throw – uh, Patrick Reed in there, who may not be the the most popular guy out on tour, and and uh, we remember what DJ and Brooks almost coming to blows on the on the plane ride over to France the last time. I mean, you got a lot of things going on in this team room. <laughs> How do you keep these guys focused on a team event, right? I mean, this is all you only get singles on the last day, so you're sort of all in this thing together. How do you keep that team room from becoming a circus? Well, it's kind of it's kind of what it, it kind of has the brewings of it, right? I mean, you, you said it so eloquently. I mean, there's some there's some conflicting personalities in that team room there, and and I I love the pod system. I think you know, I mean, we heard all about it with Phil, and I don't know if he maybe should have call, called Watson out as bad as he did, but um, I like the pod thing, and I think when you get some similar people together. And they're playing as a team. That's great. You can make a little, you know, you can make a little rivalry in between the team. But you know, man, when the when the when the gun goes off, there, I mean, they gotta put all that stuff behind them and play golf. I mean, we 
the Ryder Cup is my favorite event. Uh, it really is. I just love to watch it, and and I always have. It's um, we had a we had a similar Oakmont versus Lock Loman Cup matches, and and I'll tell you what, it was so much fun to play those matches. And those guys got up for it. Our guys were trying to maybe drink that country out of scotch, but I'm telling you, I wanted to win <laughs> as bad as anybody, and, and they wanted to win. It's like it's a it's a different element over there, uh, especially for the Europeans. They want to pay, play for their town, their clan, their family, their 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 country. I mean, they they take it a little bit more seriously, I think, than maybe we have. Now, I think when we were just beating the pants off them for all those years. It, you know, it was pretty easy for us to do that. And then we started losing. Now we started looking and going, now, wait a minute, we want to win. <laughs> you know, we want to win again. So, uh, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope the United States can kind of, you know, put this to bed a little bit. And you know what? I, I'm not kidding. I, I'd pair him. I, I would. I mean, you know, I mean, I think I, I, I like the, I like the Americans' chances this year. I mean, it, it, they just look super. Uh, you got Colin Morikawa, who's a, just a, turning into be just an all-star. Um, you know, Patrick Cantlay, you have BJ, which he's been a little, you know, hit or miss lately and kind of non-existent, non-factor, but, um, you know, but he's so good. I just, I just, I think it's going to be hard to beat the Americans this year if, if they can, you know, play as a team. And, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I mean, call me out as the worst. You know, captaining decision ever, but but let's, I can make it because I'm not the captain, so I can say it. <laughs> uh, Eric, you mentioned Colin Morikawa, and uh, I was talking to Tom Patry last week about Morikawa and how his first two and a half, you know, two plus years on tour closely matches Tiger's first two plus years. Talk about what you see in Morikawa and his swing and the poise that he shows under pressure. Yeah, well, I mean, when you hear him talk about he's so poised under pressure, and when you hear him talk about, you know, exactly where he's trying to aim it, and I, I don't know if you caught that in the in the open, and he was like, in the open championship, I want to aim at that guy in the white shirt, and I want to cut it, you know, eight feet, and I want it to come in on this side. I mean, I mean, he is a man with a plan, and you know, I don't think he has the uh, the flair for the dramatic like Tiger did, you know, Tiger bombed it, he, you know, hit the fingers, he did everything better than everybody, you know, and Morikawa just seems like he's just on face, down the middle, on the green, uh, hits that beautiful little cut shot, which, you know, a lot of people are, you know, been talking about that, a lot of people argue, you know, I, mean, I was at Oakland for about a year, it's really hard to play an Open Championship, U.S. Open hook is it, and there might be some truth to that, you know. I mean, old cut, you know, seems to find a lot of fairways. Now, golf courses have gotten different, and, and you see what, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has done to some golf courses. I mean, uh, you know, when he won the U.S. Open, um, I mean, he just was bombing it everywhere. And you don't really normally see that, but he was hitting it so close that he could stand wedge it out. And, you know, even if he wasn't rough, he could – and wedge it on the green and still have a chance for a two-putt, you know, for a par. So, I mean, it was uh, it was fascinating. So, I mean, um, you know, some of the opens that we've seen were kind of not quite what we normally used to see in, you know. I mean, and then when you get back to the Oakmonts and the Shinnecocks and the, 
and the the really hard ones. I mean, then you really start seeing that game. But you know, Bryson did it a couple of years ago. You know, so uh, he really tore that golf course up. So you know, but I I just think Morikawa. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he's uh, you know a very likable guy, uh, and I just think he's going to be around for a long time. I just don't see. I don't really see a hiccup other than sometimes his putter looks bulky um, and you see him change, you know, grip styles and, and, you know, but, but, you know, you can't argue like TP said, you can't argue his win percentage. Right. I mean, it's very, it is very similar to what we saw with Tiger. So I don't know if he has that game that will, you know, over dominate golf courses. Like when, when Tiger won in 2000, won the open championship and the U S open by a combined 20, seven shots you know one by you know 15 and 12 i mean that's like winning the 100 yard race in five seconds i mean you you probably won't see that ever again i i just can't imagine that someone would be that dominant for in those two majors but um but i i i look forward to seeing more about colin i'm looking forward to watching that eric a guy on the opposite end from morikawa is ricky fowler and ricky has been struggling with his game we've seen flashes that he might be coming out of it had a great final round at the open championship shot 65 and then the first round at the 3n at 3m championship when he shot 64 but only one top 10 finish in this wraparound season that goes back to last september how does a player like ricky or really any of us when we're struggling for an extended period of time how do we write this ship when things just aren't happening for us <laughs> well that's a super question. Uh, I, I'll answer it this way, Chris. I think if he knew how to write that ship, he would have already done it. <laughs> I think he doesn't know, and I think that happens. You know, we we sometimes get in that those little funks, and you know, heck, we saw it with Jordan Spieth. I mean, he went to kind of the abyss where, you know, we didn't hear much from him for three years, and I'm hoping that's not the same with Ricky. I mean, he's one of the most loved guys out there. I mean, and, and it's hard not to love that guy. I mean, you, you watch him give autographs and all the things he does for the kids. And I mean, I want to see him back, you know, and, 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 and I, I think personally, you know, when you get into a little funk like that, it's mostly mental at that level. You know, I played for three years and, you know, had a couple good years and my last wasn't good you know, went to a different teacher and got some different things in there. And I just, I guess mentally wasn't there. And, and to me, when you get, when you get something like Ricky, who's been so good for so long, and then he goes through a little funk like this and you kind of go, okay, when are you going to pop out of it? Um, well, we don't know. I mean, his swing hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, if you compare the videos, yeah, he's tried to get a little more upright, but he's always been kind of a round flat player and, you know, kind of drops it back underneath there. And, uh, you know, the swing doesn't really look all that different, you know. So what's that tell us? I mean, something mentally is going on. And, and you know, we just, you know, a lot of times we don't know what's going on in their head. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in his life, but, but maybe something's bugging him. Who knows? But, you know, sometimes you just kind of lose your fire a little bit, and you know, um, and, and, and you lose your mental sharpness and at that level you got to be mentally tough you've got to feel like you can win and compete and if you don't then you shouldn't put the key in the ground and you know but you got to play your way through a slump which is a awful thing to do and i've done it listen we i've had you know in college i had 
little putter yips and you know, I didn't think I could make it from, you know, three feet and that's no fun and but you just have to mentally get yourself to a spot where you, you overcome it. You just think, Listen, I'm I'm bigger than this and and I know that sounds silly but it, it really is just your mental focus. I you know, listen, you I could have missed ten cuts in a row and if I'd won it someplace and I knew I'd won there in the past, I'd think mentally, man, I'm gonna win this week, you know. Because I've won here in the past, I know how to play this golf course. Makes no sense at all. But you can convince yourself just about anything. I'm convinced of that. And if you think you can win, you're probably going to have a good chance. And I don't mean false hope either. I mean, like, you've been to a place that you know you play good at. I don't care if I missed five, six cuts in a row coming in. I knew I was going to play good there. And, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just your mental process, you know? So to that point, Eric, your mental process, your mental sharpness. We talk about the weight of expectations um, with Hal Sutton earlier in the show and, and on this show yep. frequently. When you think about it, and that's, uh, that's sort of where I feel like maybe Ricky is at. I mean, winning on the PGA Tour, first of all, for all of us to, with all the expectations we're lumping on Ricky, winning on the PGA Tour isn't easy. I mean, he's done it five times. Oh. He's got 73 top tens, and he's won nearly $40 million over the course of his career. And we're, we're waiting for him to win a major. To your point, we, you know, everyone loves Ricky. He's such a good guy. You know, we're, we're pulling for him. But as part of the, the mental piece of the game, sort of the weight of everybody else's expectations now falling on his shoulders, does that make it exponentially harder for him to get out of it? Well, I think it does. And uh, look at Tony Fino. I mean, he's another perfect example of this. He's like a, he's like an ATM machine, you know. It just, uh, he just keeps printing money, but he doesn't win. And you go, now what is that? Now we thought, we thought that Riviera, boy, he, you know, Max Homa drove it next to that tree and had that unbelievable pitch, and you know, makes it up and down. And you go, Tony had to have been thinking, okay, the weight's off my shoulders again, but it's not. And and Ricky is. I mean, if you want to see this guy, he is the nicest human around. Like, he'll stay and sign autographs, do everything for everybody. And, you know, and you can't say that about some of the other guys. You might say they've been more famous, but you can never say they they, they might have had more wins. But from a popularity standpoint, everybody loves this kid. And, and I do too, and I'm just really rooting for him to get back there. But, you know, you almost see it with, you know, I hate that. Oh, you're the best player to never win a major. That's an awful statement. You know, when they used to say that to Lee Westwood, you know, he'd won, you know, 25 events. You know, it's like, it's like, why do the people in the media keep saying that to this poor guy? You know, I mean, it's hard enough to win, right? And, you know, let alone win a major. But, I mean, once, right? And, and how much money has that kid made? And, you know, so it is hard to win on the tour. And there are a lot of guys that make a real comfortable living and they don't win, but they stay out there for a long time. And I'm hoping Ricky gets out of that because he's just such a great player. I mean, he's been a feisty, strong player too for all, you know, his whole career. He's been fun to watch. So I hope he, I I hope he gets over this. Eric, I got to get a couple of playing lessons before I let you go. And you mentioned Tom Weiskopf earlier. And he's got a pretty good yogiism about putting. He said, say all you want, but it's all about the greens, and half of that is in your head. 
I know doubt creeps in our minds, particularly when we're standing over a two to five footer, one of those knee knockers to save par. How can we stop the negative voices in our minds and make more of those tough putts? Well, you know, my good friend, uh, Mike Malaska, Jack Nicholas. Um, hey, Jack, what percentage of putts did you make inside of 10 feet in majors? And he said, uh, I made them all. And he goes, no, you had to miss something. He goes, no, I made them all. And he goes, well, now wait a minute. Maybe six, you know, and on number 12 at Augusta, you knocked it like six feet by and, you know, and, and then, you you know, you didn't make that one. And that's when Jack like kind of erupted on him a little bit and said, hey, I made that putt. I hit it exactly where the face was at impact. Therefore, I made it. Now, the green didn't let it go in, but I made that putt. And you go, now, wait, that doesn't make any sense at all either. You know what I mean? You, your, mind, your mind is such a hard thing to, to comprehend. And if you go inside my mind, there's a lot of really, really weird thoughts that go on up in there. But I don't want anyone to go up in there. I don't think Sigmund Freud could have figured this one out. But, you know, you, you got it. You got to. You've got to stay positive. You, you, you know, I, I always say golfers better be like ducks. And the, the thoughts in their brain better be like water off a duck's back just runs off, like that negative stuff. Like, it's gone. It's over, you know. And, and I think what happens when you start thinking about, man, I have missed a lot of these, and I have, and I, I am getting a yes, right? That, that's when you do get If you just say, yeah, I you know, I hit something or hit a bug or, you know, funky green or just whatever you know and you blame it on something totally other than yourself and you know the game's hard enough we don't need to keep beating ourselves up as well the golf course is trying to do it to us don't do it to yourself you know stay in that proper mental mindset and and, and kind of let let the mistakes go they they happen just figure out how to get the next one in the hole i was playing a tournament i never forget this john daly was behind me and I was hitting it sideways. We had people everywhere. And, you know, I just pull hooked one on 13 at Cockwood and that Gregory Golf Charity class. And I'm up in the woods and I'm going, oh my God, how am I going to get this out of here? I got spectators everywhere. I'm like, trees. And, and this, this old lady walks up to my caddy and goes, is this John Bailey's group? And he said, no, no, get out of here. And I'm like, Jody, stop that. You know, just hit a little call under here. And I, you know, like he was mad, he was nervous, and and I hit this little shot somehow out, and uh, I made I hit a sandwich on the part five, and I made birdie. I said, "Yeah, that, that don't yell old ladies like that ever again." <laughs> <laughs> Eric, let's talk a little strategy. And one of the things that I've started to adopt is playing for the middle of the green all the time, and always using a club that's going to get me there, even if the pin is in the front or maybe in the back. My thought process is I don't play enough and I'm not good enough to be pin hunting. Do weekend warriors like me need to adjust our expectations for what we're capable of and give ourselves a margin of error by playing for the middle of the green? You have to, you have to play for the, the fat part. I mean, um, his name slipped to me. Uh, one of the guys that's done all the shot link stuff, he tracked every single shot that Tiger's ever hit in his career. And 80% of the time, Tiger was on the fat side of the green. And for the listeners out there that might not know what that means, it's fat side of the green is the one with the most amount of room. Let's say the pin stuck way over on the right, Tiger was to the left of the flag. 
If it's tucked way over on the left, he was always on the right, or eighty percent of the time. So when you're when you when you compound a mistake like that, you go after a flight, short side yourself, you leave yourself an impossible bunker shot or an impossible, um, you know, pitch or chip. That's how a mistake compounding. You know, I I, I got lucky enough to play in our YC member guest. We call it the rodeo, and one of our members, his guest, hurt his hip on the. Sixth hole, like, you know, I mean, flies all the way to Montana, hurts his hip on the second or sixth hole, can't play. So I played as a marker, and and I I played the next, you know, uh, well, 36 holes with him, and uh, when we had a ball, and I it was kind of like a playing lesson the whole time, and he won two of the three matches. I couldn't count, my ball couldn't count, but he won two of the three matches on his own, and and I I said to him on you know especially one hole I said, listen, Rick. You're about 90 yards from the hole. Par is going to win this hole. Like, you, you hit a great drive. You're 90 yards to the hole. Just hit it over in the front left corner. Just Don't even worry about the play. It's over in the right. Don't don't worry about it. Hit it in the front right corner. Make a par. You win the hole. The other guy was right in the middle of the fairway. Pulled it left. Hit an awful chip. And two putted for five. Rick was on the green, 30 feet, rolling over there. Two putts, he wins the hole. You know, and, and he, won the, he won the match. Six and three by himself. Now that wow. is an amazing thing. And 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 it wasn't like I was doing a lot of coaching other than just saying, Okay, now you don't need a birdie, you just need par. You you need to put it over here, put it over there, you know, and it was about course management. And and I realized that when I play in these programs and I play with a lot of the, the we'll say handicap players, that you just I'm puzzled by what they're doing or trying to accomplish. You know, I mean, I always say it's slow and steady wins the race, all right? A marathon. Think about think about the game as a marathon. Let's say you only hit 150 yards off the tee, or let's say 200. You get hit at 200 yards, okay? And you're playing the appropriate set of tees. Well, if you can hit the next one 150 yards, you're by every par four. If you're on, a, you know, the appropriate tees, you're by every par four in two strokes. And and then from there, right. it's just tip of the putt. Now, the one thing that, that, that we will never be able to do, like Bryson, this body is built for leisure, not speed anymore. I'm not going to be in the gym eating protein shakes every, you know, six times a day. I'm done. I'm going to drink wine. I'm going to have fun at night. And, and he can list all the ways he wants. But I can never hit as far as him, but I could probably be as good a putter, tipper, and pitcher, maybe even bunker player, because you don't need strength. It's not about speed, necessarily. Putting isn't like I tell the you know beginner ladies clinics we can be the best in the world at this because it doesn't take speed it takes control of the face and now we can't say that with drivers they're never going to get a 400 but they could be really good putters and chippers and pitchers right so you know to me that's the side of the game that really needs to be taught and and and, and really learn and and like you said course management. You know, we all want to think we can hit a three one two fifty over a lake, and but you know what, we can't. So lay it up to the right yardage, put it on there, and make your par. I mean, I promise you, those pars are going to add up to a good two or eighteen pars, even even par. Last time I looked, those went opens. Eric, one of the guys who has started listening to the show years ago did so because of his relationship with you, and that's Tim McCord. And for those folks who aren't familiar with Tim. He is now a volunteer assistant golf coach at Allegheny College 
But prior to that, he was a physical education teacher for 34 years in the Titusville Area School District. He was the Pennsylvania State Association Health and Physical Education Educator of the Year in 2003 and their Coach of the Year in 2012. He coached the varsity golf team for 32 years, and I know he has a special place in your life. Talk about Tim. Well, Chris, I'm, you know, thanks for bringing Coach up. You know, honestly, he is, uh, he might be the most, and this might be the most important segment I've ever done with you, you know, because, you know, Tim, he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And, you know, the man is selfless. He's a man of integrity, always does the right things. He's always thinking of other people. Um, his strong moral principle is crazy. And he helped so many of us through tough times. You know, I, I you know, I played for coach, you know, my uh, freshman and sophomore year. And, you know, it, <laughs> we were at playing the uh, Sleepy Hollow and uh, we were playing for the section championship. And we, I'm not sure we'd ever won under Tim, you know, and, and I was a freshman and we were playing Sleepy Hollow and the first hole is like 265, 270 yards, a little tiny hole. And there's out of bounds and a road that goes all the way on the right side. Like, so you're either laying over the five iron, hit the sandwich, or trying to drive this thing. And you know, it's so funny. The coach is like, hey, you know, man, five irons off the only, you know, sandwich it in. I'm like, okay, you know. So he had me play like two or three man that day. And, uh, yeah, I was a freshman. My brother was on the team too. And it was, it was our big deal, you know. And, and so I'm standing there waiting for the green to clear. And I said, yeah, I can hit this thing. I'm going to drive this thing. I pull out my driver, <clears throat> and I laced this thing. It was the best time I've ever hit, thank God. And it goes right onto the green and rolls right under someone's feet to, like, four feet. You know, I had a four-footer for Eagle on the first hole, and he was so mad at me. <laughs> after the round, he's like, I thought we were hitting, you know, five out of seven. I was like, Coach, I knew I could do it, you know? And then uh, we tie. We tie championship. And it goes to my brother, who shot like 85 or 86 or something, and he beat poor Michael Polka, who had like the shanks that day and had a or something goofy. So that was like our first championship. And uh, he was, he, I, I don't know if he was ready to, to strangle me or like hug me, but, you know, and then I birdied the second hole. So I was like 300 after two holes. I had 74 or something, but we ended up winning against a good friend, Steve Singleberger. But my sophomore year, I had qualified for the state championship. And it was, uh, it was, it was a big deal for me because I knew I wanted to play college golf and I wanted to do something. And, you know, so Tim said, Hey, listen, we're going to practice every day. And I said, Coach Swift, my parents are getting divorced. You know, I don't know if I can get a ride out there. And he goes, Meet me after the last period and we'll go play. And we played every day for a month, he and I. And he drove me out there. Now, he wasn't getting extra pay for that. He wasn't getting anything for that, but he drove me out there every single day to practice and play. Now, as you know, Chris, in Pennsylvania, we get some bad weather. I mean, it's not a matter of if you're going to get snow, it's just when and how much. And we went out on days where it was snowing, he'd take a shovel and a broom and we'd broom the green off and we'd chip and putt till both of us were frozen. And, and you know, I went into the state championship and it shot, uh, I finished 34, 34th or 32nd, I can't remember. And uh, it was all because of coach. And, you know, I, my parents got divorced. I moved in with my dad. And, you know, so I qualified for the state championship as a senior as well. And just to show the difference, the high school coach, I believe his name is Don, that didn't really stand out to me because he was nothing compared to Tim. 
And, uh, you know, I qualified, same thing, October 1, November 1, the tournament was played. And he said, I'll see you in November 1. You know, I never saw my coach again. So I went back and thought about everything that Coach McCord taught me. And I did the same thing. I'll never forget it. I lost my shot. I birdied the last hole, but I still lost by one and uh, almost won the state championship. And it was because I did everything that Coach McCord taught me how to do. You know, I I went out by myself and shoveled snow to hit balls in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know, and it was truly amazing, you know, what he's done for me. And uh, I'll just never forget it. You know, he was – he's and it wasn't just me. You know, I was going through a tough time there with my parents getting divorced, but you look on Facebook, he does that for all of us. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people, you know, thank him every day on Facebook for, you know, things that he's done for all of us. You know, I mean, all the great athletes love this guy. And, you know, he kept me in line, too. I, I've got to tell you, right after the state championship, you know, at Halloween, and, uh, you know, we were we were there and, you know, poor 16-year-old knuckleheads. We went to quality market and had a bunch of eggs. We were pulling around, and there were probably 10 or 12 of us. And Coach happened to drive by where we were. And he stopped at a stop sign, and there was like 10 or 12 of us. And we all got our, like, best Nolan Ryan wind-up. And not one person could throw an egg at him in his car. <laughs> we, first of all, we knew he was killing. <laughs> and, and we knew he would kill us. And, but, like, every one of us, we were like, Nolan Ryan, we're all locked back with her, and no one could bring their arm forward. <laughs> so, oh, funny story. So the next morning, I come in, and I hear on the PA system, you know, Eric Johnson, please report to the gym. You know, I thought, oh, good, I get to talk to coach. <laughs> Guess what? That wasn't a fun conversation. I don't know if you went through, like, the high channel specialty seal and got, like, a titanium enforced finger. But he put that on your finger in my chest so many times, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I mean, he was, you know, he had me kind of against the wall, like, you have to respect yourself. You have to respect your family. You have to respect your team. You're better than this. You have to respect me. You know, I'm your coach. And, uh, you know, he, he really towed the line on me. And, you know, and that was back and you know, people, he just, he had that ability. He cared for me so much. And uh, sorry about that. I'm getting a little choked up on that one. He cared about me so much that he wanted me to succeed. And he wasn't going to let me turn into a goofball, you know. And, uh, man, I'll never, never forgive, you know, I'll never forget everything that he's done for me, you know. So, you know, fast forward a bunch of years later, he was bringing his son down to Oakmont, which uh, Matt's now his first assistant down in, in Chapel Hill. And, uh, you know, PGA member and uh, got a great career, great player. And, and, you know, I said, Coach, listen, you know, he'd always say, how much do you? Coach, don't owe me a thing. Everything you've done for me, you're the reason why I'm here. Like, you're the reason that I got out of, over the hump, so to speak, and there's no charge. But every single time, Matt would have a, a thank you note and and a gift card. And I told him not to do it, ever. But that's just the kind of guy he is. And and like I said, it wasn't just me. I mean, Titusville was a tough little town. You know, your dad was either working at Saitam Specialty Steel or, a, you know, Lumberjack or working on the oil fields. And, you know, it was a tough little town, and he wanted us all to succeed. And I, I look back at it, and I, I see so many of the great athletes, uh, Tracy Gabos and, 
and uh, you know Jay Snyder and all those guys, and 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 like Rob Paluski, he's a PGA member down in North Carolina as well, and uh, they were all from Coach McCord's teams, and and uh, all the athletes just love this guy, and he always knew how to push you in the right direction. Uh, you know, I can't thank Tim McCord enough for everything he's done, not just for me, which is like volumes. He's my, he's my, he's my Bob Ford in my later career. You know, that Tim was my, the guy that really, like I said, believed in me when I probably didn't believe in myself. He sounds like a wonderful man. I'm sure he'll be listening to our conversation tonight, Eric. Folks, you can find out more information about Tim and follow him on Twitter at Tim McCord PE. Tim, thank you for being a loyal listener of the show and for everything you've done to grow the game up in our home state of Pennsylvania. You're fantastic, my friend. Eric, we're both Steelers fans, so before I let you go, I got to get your thoughts on the upcoming season. Is this going to be a good one, or are we in for uh, several years of rebuilding now? <laughs> you need to ask Pittsburgh Dad that one. <laughs> I met him. I met him in, in the in clipboard box at, at a Steeler game. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Um, I'm hopeful. Uh, I think Ben's still got some gas left in the tank. I think with the addition of Naze Harris, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. Um, now that could be dashed real quick, <laughs> but I'm optimistic. <laughs> You're telling me there's a chance. And I, I, I think there might be. Uh, so I, at least I'm, I'm praying for the black and gold. I love them. And, you know, that town, you know that town. I mean, it's just what we root for, you know. And and we've been so lucky with the Penguins and, you know, these poor pirates. Oh, nothing. Just, uh, he, uh, don't uh, get me started on that. He's <laughs> trading. Yeah, you know, just I, sell a team to somebody who wants to win. You know what I mean? Right. Teams can win without a huge payroll. You can win if you if you want to win. And and I just I think they've been phoning it in, but I, it's such a fun ballpark to go to. You can't help but go down there and have a great time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a beautiful park. It's just ah, oh, I wish we had some some tired players. Man, it just bugs me. But yeah, uh, we need old we need guys like Bobby Friend again. Old Piss, you know, Mister. That's right. But. Uh, that's yeah, right. God. What a good guy. What a great man he was, too. Super guy. Eric, before I, I let you him. go, how can our listeners stay up to date with you? I know it's always a struggle on your website and on social media. I'm hoping one day you're going to you're gonna be out there responding <laughs> on social media, but yeah. is there a way for us to stay up to date with you? <laughs> oh, you kill me on this every time. And I promise, I think I promised you like 14 times now that I was going to do more of this. I just, <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I think I have. Eric Johnson Golf. EricJohnsonDallas.com, and I'm on Instagram and whatever, Facebook, and you know all that stuff. But I, you know, I'm just Chris. I I think I'm the Bryson and the Brooks Kepka thing. I'm just not like a. I don't think I need to, you know, win an internet like pissing match. But but I promise you, I, I promise you, I might just post something tonight just to just to. You know, show you up, but I promise. I'll wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you're awesome, I my friend. Remember. I can't I thank you my... enough for coming back and be a part of the show. Now I got to remember passwords now. Hey, brother, I love you, man. Thanks for everything. You got to come and see this place. Wait till you see the Yellowstone Club, number one mountain club in the world, buddy. You got to come see this one. Yeah, no kidding, my friend. I've been, like I say, 
I'm telling my wife, you know, we're going to chuck it all. We're going to buy an RV and we're going to head to Montana. <laughs> so that's, that's, well, that's the plan. I hope yeah. I can convince her. I might need your help. <laughs> you might need a little help on that one, bud, but you know, keep trying. <laughs> I'll see you, buddy. Thanks for everything. All right, Eric. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. Bye-bye. That's the great Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson Golf is the is the website and how you can find him on social media. But um, as you can tell, that guy is uh, just one of my favorite people on the planet. The the enthusiasm, the positivity, the energy, all of that sort of stuff is uh, is endearing about Eric, and he's just as genuine a person as you're going to find. And and uh, you know, part of the show, the the great part about Eric is he's you know you ask him a question, he's going to tell you an answer. And that's uh, as an interviewer, that's all you can ask from a guest and. And uh, and the fact that he comes on again that tonight was the fifteenth time. How lucky am I to uh, have one of the top one hundred instructors uh, in, on the planet uh, come back fifteen times? And uh, I'm very blessed. And Eric is a, is a great human being. And uh, the next time can't get here fast enough uh, for number sixteen. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again go out to Hal Sutton. Sean McKeel, Jason Hayes, and Eric Johnson for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, will be back. Allison Fillmore, who is the vice president and executive director of the Tour Championship, will be making her Next on the Tea debut. As will another one of the top instructors in the game, Nick Bradley, will join me. And then we'll round out the show with former tour player and one of the top broadcasters in the game, Charlie Reimer, will be back. So, folks, it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. Pandora has now joined the lineup. iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Podcast.co. Folks, Thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. 
spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.